Well, hey, thanks for connecting with us online, wherever you're watching this right now. Uh, we're just so, so glad that you're joining us. And, uh, you know, I understand uh, that for many of you, uh, maybe you're unable to be uh, back in person at our weekend gatherings. And that could, of course, be for a variety of different reasons. And so uh, let me just say to you that we, uh, our team, that I, we, um, man, we genuinely, genuinely miss being together and uh, we miss seeing you here on the weekends. And so uh, I just wanted to remind you that if, if there's any way that we can be praying for you, with you and your family specifically, or if there's any way that we can best serve you, please take a minute if you would and uh, fill out that online connect card for us. And uh, if you don't know where to find that, you can actually find it on our website. And so if you're not currently on our website, our website is medinaeast.gracechurches.org. And if you go there, you'll actually find an online connect card. And on that card, you can um, fill out some comments. And if there's some ways that we can serve you, you can put that on there. And there's a, a spot for prayer requests. And so we would love to pray for you uh, kind of during this time. So thanks for, for joining in and for jumping in. And uh, if you are new to Grace Church, the Medina campus, you're actually catching us in the second week of a series uh, that we've been doing that's called Review. And, uh, and basically in the series, what we're doing is we're looking at the one place in the Bible where we actually see Jesus Christ giving his review of the church. It's a place where we see Jesus kind of giving his analysis, giving his assessment of his, his church. And uh, what we've been saying in the series is kind of this. We've been saying that a lot of people today, and I believe probably most of us as well, uh, have some strong opinions and uh, preferences and desires about what we think the church should look like, right? So uh, we all have ideas of what we think the church should or should not be. We have ideas of what we think the church should or should not do or should or should not act uh, within our lives and within our society. And so I think because of that, I think because all of us have different opinions and preferences, uh, that it's easy for us to sometimes, for those of us who follow Jesus and who are part of the church, to kind of adopt a consumer mindset. And I think you know what I mean by that. I think we all understand the consumer mentality. It's basically a mentality that says, uh, I'm looking for something that suits my needs, right? I'm looking for a church that aligns with my values. I'm looking for a church that caters to my preferences. I'm looking for a church that kind of fulfills my desires. And um, I think it's easy sometimes for us to kind of fall into kind of that mentality. I was actually reminded of this a few weeks ago. I thought it was kind of funny. I, uh, I was reminded of the different preferences that we have. I, was, uh, I had preached for several weeks in a row, and I actually ran into one of the kids from our campus. And I'm not going to tell you his name, uh, but I will tell you this. He actually is, is one of the kids of uh, one of the pastors on our staff. <laughs> so he came up to me, and he said, he said, hey, Pastor Tony, how are you? I said, hey, I'm doing good. How are you doing? He said, good. And then he said, um, <clears throat> He goes, are you preaching this week again? And I said, as a matter of fact, I am. I'm preaching again this week. And he goes, oh, man. And he goes, what are we going to hear from somebody else? And I thought it was funny. I was like, what, you don't like my preaching? And he goes, no, it's fine. It's just you get old after a while. And I just said to him, I said, well, if you don't like my preaching, that's fine because I'm going to fire your dad and you're going to have to find a different church. And um, no, I didn't actually tell him that. Um, actually, what I told him was this. I said, I actually kind of agree with you. Sometimes I get tired of hearing the sound of my own voice. But I just thought that was funny. And I think it just highlights, you know, we all have different preferences. And that's true, right? That's undeniably true. But I believe, kind of what we're talking about in this series, that, um, that there is a much more important issue that we need to concern ourselves with as it relates to the church. And for those of us who follow Jesus, I think it's this. At the end of the day, it's, it's not really ultimately about our opinions or our preferences or our desires for the church, 
But more importantly, it's about Jesus's desires, about his preferences, about what he wants for the church. And that's actually what the series is really after, right? We're kind of going after what is Jesus's vision for his church? What is kind of his preferences and the things that he wants? And then how do we pursue that together? And, uh, and so that's what we're doing. Now, let me just say real quick, too, that if you are someone who's new to Grace Church, maybe someone sent you a link to this message and you're kind of new to the whole church thing, or maybe for you, you're even new to the whole uh, Jesus thing and you're investigating Christianity. Can I just tell you that even though this is a series that's kind of directed to the church, I believe this is actually a really important conversation for you, too. And the reason is because, you know, maybe for some of you, Maybe your previous church experiences um, have really kind of turned you off and maybe have even hurt you, or maybe your current opinion of the church is actually not all that great. Uh, maybe you've seen like some serious hypocrisy or some serious abuse, uh, and maybe ever since then, you don't want to have anything to do with the church. And let me just say that if that's you, that if you've had an experience like that, you know, in a lot of ways, you are justified in looking at the church from a somewhat cautious and critical perspective. That makes sense. But here's what I want you to know, uh, that the church that Jesus Christ has established uh, is awesome. And it was designed to be awesome. And sometimes, honestly, we churches get it wrong. And so if you're new or you're investigating, I actually think this is a great series. It's a great series, I hope, to get a clear picture of what the founder of this whole thing thinks about what he wants the church to look like. And so we're going to be doing that. So last week, we kind of said it this way. We said, man, think about this. What if Jesus Christ wrote a review? What if he wrote a letter to the church in America today? What if he did? What would he say? What do we think he would say? And then last week, we even took it a step further. We said, what if Jesus wrote a letter to this church, to Grace Church, to our campus at this church? And we just said, what would he say to us? And, and you know, you think about it, how valuable and how awesome would it be if we had something like that, a letter like that? And here's what I said last week. I said, I actually think we do. I think in a lot of ways that what we have in Revelation chapter two is exactly that. We have a letter that outlines Jesus's desires for his church. And so if you got a Bible, in fact, I want you to grab it with me. I wanna invite you to go back to Revelation chapter two. We're gonna kind of pick up where we left off a little bit last week. And, uh, and as you're finding Revelation chapter two in your Bible or on your app or wherever that might be, let me kind of tell you what we're going to see. Once again, we're going to see Jesus giving his review and revealing his desires for his church. Now, let me also say, if you happen to miss last week's message, um, I would actually encourage you, in fact, maybe even consider pausing this right now and going back and watching or listening to last week's message. Um, I think that in a lot of ways, that message gives some really important background and context that really helps today's conversation make a lot more sense. So I want to encourage you to do that. But where we left off was basically this. We said that John, John, who was the author of the book of Revelation, uh, he was a disciple, he was an apostle of Jesus. He had this experience where he encountered the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ. And uh, it is an incredible experience. We talked about it all last week. And in this encounter, Jesus tells John this. So this is kind of where we left off last week. Jesus tells John, write on a scroll what you see and then send it to the seven churches. Send it to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And, um, and so basically Jesus says, I want you to write to these seven churches. Now these seven churches, by the way, that are mentioned are referring to seven different regions that existed back in this time. And Jesus basically says, I want you to write to these churches and give them my message and my assessment of each of them. 
So from here, chapters two and three are seven letters to these seven churches that he mentions here. And what you're going to notice, and, and we're going to see today and we're going to see in the weeks to come, is that in each of these letters, Jesus includes either a commendation. So he commends these churches for things that he says, here's something I love about your church. Here's something I praise about your church. Here's something you're doing well. So he gives a, con a commendation. And then he also gives a criticism. In other words, he says, here's some stuff that you need to change. Here's some stuff that I don't like about your church. Here's things that you're going to need to shift. And so in most of these letters, he gives both of those or one of those to them. So today what we're going to do is we're going to start by looking at the first church in this list. We're going to look at the church in Ephesus. Okay, so Jesus is going to address this church, and he's going to start off in chapter 2, verse 1. And here's what he says. He says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. All right, so let's go ahead and hit pause there. Now, let me just say, regarding some of these uh, items, the seven stars, the seven lampstands, the angel, that might seem pretty bizarre to you. Uh, let me just say that last week, we actually talked about that at length. And so if you missed that, I'd encourage you to go check that out. But what I want you to notice here in, in verse 1 is that he addresses the specific church, uh, the church in Ephesus. That's who he addresses. So let me just take a minute, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about this church, uh, because I think that understanding the circumstances of this church actually helps us understand Jesus's message to this church. And so, um, so this church, Ephesus, is the first letter. It's the first one that's mentioned. And I think the reason that Jesus first addresses this church is because this church by far was the most influential of the seven churches. Uh, let me just tell you, man, the church of Ephesus sat in the city of Ephesus, uh, which was at this time the fourth largest city in the entire Roman Empire. And so this city was huge. It uh, would have had about 250,000 residents within it. Uh, it was a port city. And so in a lot of ways, it was kind of a crossroads for trade and commerce. And so there's all kinds of different cultural backgrounds that kind of came together in the city of Ephesus. And in a lot of ways, Ephesus was like kind of on the cutting edge of culture, right? They were on the cutting edge of business, on politics, on religion, on entertainment. It was kind of that sort of thing. In fact, if you were to visit Ephesus today, which by the way, you can, it's in modern day Turkey, uh, it would be immediately apparent to you that this city was at one point a really big deal. Uh, if you were to walk around the streets, you would see stuff like this. And there's still a ton of architectural ruins and these large buildings that have survived for you know 2,000 years or more. And, and you can just see they're, they're, they're huge. Um, tons of stuff like this all around the city. Uh, another another uh, kind of landmark that you would find in Ephesus, they actually had an amphitheater. Uh, this is a picture of it. This thing could seat 24,000 people. And they would you know do shows here. They would hold lectures here. And uh, it just was this massive, amazing kind of, you know, kind of feat of construction that you see. Uh, one of the things, some of you might actually know this as well, Ephesus was actually notorious for the worship of a goddess named Artemis. And so Artemis, also called Diana, uh, was actually the fertility goddess, which actually, you know, means that she was sort of the goddess of sex. And she was the embodiment of sexuality and the embodiment of sexual lust. And right in Ephesus, they built this massive temple to her. In fact, this is uh, an artist rendition of what that would have looked like. It might have been something like this. And this was one of the, uh, the seven wonders of the ancient world. 
And this thing's huge. This thing is huge. Um, it, when, it was, when it was built, it was built on a platform of more than 100,000 square feet. Uh, it was twice the size of a football field, kind of in its footprint. It had 100 stone marble columns, each over 55 feet high. This thing was just massive. And it all was a temple to this goddess named Artemis, who was kind of the goddess of sex. So you can imagine what Ephesus must have been like, right? And so right in the middle of this booming city, in the middle of this kind of cultural melting pot, there was this very influential church that showed up. And it was the church of Ephesus. And let me tell you, this church was awesome. It was amazing. In fact, we know a few things in the Bible about the church of Ephesus because uh, we're told about it in the book of Acts. We actually have the book of Ephesians in our Bible, which is a letter to the church in Ephesus. And then, of course, Revelation tells us about it. Here's one of the things we know about Ephesus. Ephesus had amazing leadership. Um, we know this. It was planted by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who, if you're not super familiar with the Bible, was undoubtedly the most influential early church leader, was the one who founded this church. After the Apostle Paul, the Bible tells us Priscilla and Aquila, uh, they would have kind of taken leadership over this church. They were rock stars. And then after them, Timothy came in. Timothy's another guy who we have two books of the Bible, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, that were written to him. He was a stellar leader. And then after Timothy, we're actually told that John... John, the one who wrote the book of Revelation, was the pastor of this church. And so just, just to put it this way, these guys had some amazing leaders at this church. All right. So at the time that this was written, Ephesus had become the center of the Christian movement. So I want you to understand that. So what does Jesus say then to this influential, booming church? What does he have to say? Well, notice he's going to start off here in verse 2. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. All right, so let's just pause there again. I want you to notice Jesus actually starts by giving commendations. He commends this church for some good stuff that they're doing. And really, there's three things that he says, man, you guys are doing great with. And here's the first one. The first commendation is he says, I commend you on your hard work. I commend you on your hard work. Now, this term that's used here, by the way, very strong term. Uh, it literally means to exert oneself to the point of exhaustion. It's this idea of strenuous labor. And so, and so what do we see here? What do we see about this church? Well, here's what we see. Man, these guys, they were hard workers. Uh, this was a group of followers of Jesus who were pushing themselves for the mission of God. Right? In other words, uh, these followers of Jesus, they didn't just serve and they didn't just engage when it was convenient. They were not soft Christians by any stretch of the imagination. Man, these guys went hard and they exerted and they exhausted themselves for the mission of God. They were engaged. They exerted time, energy, resources into serving others, into making disciples, into equipping the church, into serving the community around them, telling other people about God. This was a hardworking group of people. And I just want you to notice this. This is actually something that Jesus commends. He, Jesus looks at him. He says, you guys, way to go. Way to go. Way to work hard. Now, now let me just say here, I think, I think that we actually find something here for us today, for us at our church. You know, while this book, while this letter that was written uh, was not, you know, originally written to us, like we are literally reading somebody else's mail right now, right? While this is not written to us, I believe that this was actually written for us. And I think it tells us something about Jesus' desires for his church, 
right? And what is it? What does Jesus desire for his church? Well, I think one thing we know here is that Jesus loves hard work. So this, this is important, I think, you know, because for those of us who follow Jesus, I think just to be clear, we are not saved by our good works. We are not saved by deeds. And, and that's true. But I want you to notice here that Jesus commends them for their deeds. He says, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. In other words, he says, your labor is not in vain. And your hard work is not something that, that I dismiss. I actually very much value that. You know, I think we can learn a lot from Jesus's commendation here. Because the truth is, I think for those of us who follow Christ, we know this. It's easy sometimes to get spiritually lackadaisical, right? It's easy to allow other priorities to crowd out and to overshadow uh, our commitment to Jesus. It's easy sometimes to just kind of disengage and just sort of sit on the sidelines of what God is doing in his church and in the world and not really get in the game to just let other people do the work. And um, and let's tell you, Jesus here says, he says, I commend hard work. Jesus commends that we go all out to live for him. So First thing he says is he says, I want to commend you guys on your hard work. But notice the second thing he says, and I also want to commend you on your perseverance, your perseverance. Now, man, this is also a very strong word. This word can also be translated uh, long suffering. And here's what it literally means. It means to, uh, to hold up or to stand up underneath pressure. It's, it's staying power. And I love this because he says, I want to commend you for your perseverance. He actually reiterates the same idea down in verse three. If you notice in verse three, he says this, he says, you have persevered and you have endured hardship for my name and you have not grown weary in doing that. Uh, You know, uh, one of the things that we know about this church in Ephesus is that it was undergoing a lot of persecution. Uh, We actually talked about this last week, uh, but back in this time, it was very common that Christians were being arrested and sometimes even killed for not renouncing their faith in Jesus Christ. And so they were going through some tough times. In addition to that, one of the things that we also know is that the Ephesian church was facing a lot of cultural pressure for the church to conform. Um, the church was under a lot of criticism in, in the city of Ephesus. In fact, one of the big problems we know that was happening in this church was that the church, uh, that the, the city of Ephesus, the big problem they had with the church was that the church was actually hurting the economy. And you might be thinking, well, how, how are they doing that? Well, One of the biggest industries in Ephesus was the making and selling of these miniature statues of Artemis. Remember I talked about Artemis, the big temple? Well, they would make these like little kind of idols and these statues and figurines and they would sell them. And so as people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ, they stopped buying these statues. And so many people were coming to faith in Jesus Christ that it actually led to sales declining. We're actually told, this is crazy, we're actually told in Acts chapter 19, because the sales had dropped so low, it actually caused a riot in the city. All right, so, so, so here's what I want you to understand. This church was facing some pretty turbulent times where honestly, honestly, it maybe would have been easier for the Christians to just give up. It would have been easier for them to just let go of all of the pressure, to, to stop fighting, to keep serving Jesus and to keep meeting together. It may have, may have been easier for them just to abandon their faith and just go with the flow of their culture. But to tell you, this church, they wouldn't do it. They did not grow weary in enduring hardship. They were a persevering church. Now, again, I think there's something in here for us, for our church today, that we can learn from. And what is that? Well, I, think, I think this. I think what we can learn is that Jesus commends the persevering church. That, listen, Jesus commends the church that doesn't give up when things are hard. 
the church that doesn't let up on the hope of the gospel, the church that doesn't back down when there's pressures from society, the church that chooses to press in when things get hard. And I think, I think honestly, we can say with a fair amount of confidence that we are experiencing a season right now where perseverance is required, maybe in ways for those of us who follow Jesus that we've never seen before. I mean, for sure, like none of us are getting arrested and we're not getting killed for our faith in Christ. Um, not yet. But I think, I think what we see is that following Jesus right now and being part of his church does require endurance. It, it, requires, it requires endurance to keep trusting God, even when there are voices of panic and confusion in the media and surrounding us right now. It takes endurance to do that. I think it takes endurance to stay connected to God's people at a time where gathering together is very challenging. It's challenging to do that, right? It's, it's challenging. A lot of us are experiencing this. It's challenging to stay connected to our life groups. You know, a lot of our life groups right now are meeting on Zoom. Uh, some are meeting in outdoor venues. We're trying to get creative with it. And honestly, I mean, can we just be honest about it? Sometimes it'd just be easier not to do it, wouldn't it be? Just to give up on that. Um, to stay engaged in weekend services, whether that's online or in person, like you're doing right now, I think all of us would say that it's challenging right now. It's hard to do that. Uh, Disciple-making relationships, staying connected and, and not letting those drift away. Right? It takes endurance to do that, to continue to serve our community in a time of a pandemic. Man, some of those things are really, really challenging and are really, really hard. And let me just say that, just, that I think, man, so much of the Christian life is about endurance. It's about perseverance. And the Bible reiterates this so frequently. I remember years ago, I had a friend of mine and he said something I thought was really good about the Christian life. This is what he said about the Christian life. He said, listen, in the Christian life, if you don't quit, you win. If you don't quit, you win. And I'll just tell you, I find that very encouraging. I think that if Jesus was able to write a letter to our church, I think that one of the things he might tell us in a season like this is don't quit. Stick with it. Keep going. By God's grace, never quit. Perseverance is an essential part of what it means to follow Jesus. It's easy to follow Christ when things are convenient, when things are easy, when there's no pressure on. But man, when the pressure comes on, perseverance is essential. And so Jesus looks at this church and he says, I want to commend you in your hard work. I want to commend you in your perseverance. Then here's the third thing he says. He says, I want to commend you in this. I know, this is in verse two, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. All right, so, so Jesus says something here, man, that I think for many of us, maybe this is something that we wouldn't expect Jesus to say and might be challenging for us to hear. But I want you to notice, he says, here's what I want to commend you. You don't, you cannot tolerate wicked people. Now, if that, <laughs> that doesn't seem hard enough for some of you, he actually says something down in verse six that maybe even seems more challenging. Look what he says in verse six, something similar. He says, but you have this in, in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So I want you to think about this for a minute. In verse six and in verse two, you actually see two words that we choke on as a culture. Two words that quite honestly in our culture just do not fly. And what are they? Um, you cannot tolerate, and you hate, and you hate. In other words, intolerance and hatred. And here's what I want you to catch. Jesus actually says to this church, I commend you for this, and you have this in your favor. 
that there are certain things that you hate and there are certain things that you don't tolerate. Now, again, like I said, this is challenging for us, especially in our pluralistic society. Right, this sounds really harsh, but I want you to understand that what he's saying is to this Ephesian church, he's saying that there are certain things that you should not tolerate and there are certain things that you should, that you should despise, that you should hate. Now, of course, let me be clear here on what he is not saying, okay? Here's what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying, Christians, you should hate people and you should be intolerant of anyone who doesn't think just like you do. That is not what he's saying, okay? So let's just be clear on that. So what is he saying? All right, well, let me help clear this up a little bit. I want you to notice he says that you cannot tolerate wicked people, but then he goes on and he says this. He says, you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have uh, found them false. So what's he talking about here? Well, he's talking about false teachers. He's actually talking about false apostles. And so Ephesus, we actually know from the Bible, was plagued with false teaching. Uh, basically, there was these teachers who would come around and they would claim to be apostles, but they weren't. They weren't sent by Jesus. And they would teach God's people things that were incongruent with what the Bible taught. And oftentimes they would do this with the intention of leading people astray. And so uh, oftentimes the things that the false teachers would teach, they involved legalistic religion. Uh, a lot of times, honestly, it had to do with weird and strange sexual practices. You can imagine in Ephesus how that would go down. And what, what he's saying here is he's saying to the Ephesian church, you guys don't tolerate false teaching and you don't tolerate false teachers because that false teaching is hurting and harming people and it's hurting and harming society. And so, and so he says here, but now I want you to also notice he talks about the Nicolaitans down here. Now, some of you might be saying, well, who are the Nicolaitans? All right, well, actually, we don't really know. We don't know much about these guys, but I do want you to notice something very important here. Jesus does not say, I love that you guys hate them. That's not what he says. Do you notice what he says? Jesus says, I, I, he says, I, this is in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. You don't hate the Nicolaitans. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. Now, here's the thing. I think we can read this sometimes and we can take it as saying, so Jesus is telling us that there's people we should not tolerate and there's people we should hate. But that's not what he's saying. I think what Jesus is saying here is that he hates, he hates the practices of the Nicolaitans. He hates the teaching that hurts and harms society. This is a very important distinction, by the way. Here's what Jesus is saying, I believe. I think he's saying bad teaching and bad practices, false teaching and evil practices are like cancer. They are harmful and they are destructive to the people that God loves. And so this isn't about hating a person. If you think about it, this is actually about loving a person. Now think about this for a minute. If you had cancer, wouldn't you want an oncologist who was intolerant and who hated cancer? Why? Because they love you and they care about you. And so, so Jesus is not saying, I want you to hate certain people and I want you to be intolerant of certain people. No, he says, I want you to hate certain practices and be intolerant of certain teaching because it hurts the people that I love. It hurts the people that I love. Look, I think all of us know this. Hate is not the opposite of love. Hate is a necessary function of love. And I think what we see is that because Jesus loves us, he hates and he is intolerant of that which most hurts us. Now, again, I think what this is telling us for us today 
is something pretty important. I think it reveals to us something that Jesus desires for his church. And what is that? I think Jesus wants his church to hold firmly to the teaching of his word in the Bible. God wants his church to love people deeply, but in so doing, he wants them to speak truthfully about what God said. You know, guys, I think um, there can be a strong temptation sometimes to dismiss or sometimes to feel embarrassed about certain parts of what God's word says because it doesn't seem to jive well with our culture. And, you know, you think about issues, for example, in our day, you think about issues of things like sexuality and marriage in our society right now. And we look at how the, the definition of sexuality and marriage has become morphed and twisted in so many different ways. We think about issues like abortion. We think about issues like racism and prejudice. We think about issues of pluralism, that, that basically the, the idea that every religion and every spiritual belief is just as valid as the next. And I'll tell you this, Guys, those issues, these are not primarily political issues. They're not. For the follower of Jesus, these are issues that God has authoritatively spoken into. And God's word speaks to these things, and quite honestly, in ways that are contradictory and offensive to our culture. But man, listen, I think God knows that these things are hurtful and they're harmful to us and to society. In a lot of ways, they're cancer to us. And I think what Jesus is saying here is this, is that when God's word in the surrounding cultures butts heads, so when God's word in the culture around us, when those things misalign, it's not God's word that needs to change. But I think it reveals that we're out of step with God's heart. And so Jesus commends these things, right? Jesus, Jesus tells these guys, man, you guys are hardworking. He says, you guys are persevering. He says, there's, there's, you, guys, you guys stand up for solid teaching and, and you teach God's word for what it says. And that's all good stuff. But now I want you to notice in verse four, he kind of changes a little bit and he draws out one criticism. He says, I have one big problem with you. And here's what it is. He says, I hold this against you. Now, let me just say, when Jesus Christ, who is the author of his church, looks at his church and says, I have something against you. I think that's when we lean in to listen. I mean, we always do, but especially here. Jesus looks at this church and he says, you guys, I got a problem with your church. I got something I hold against you. And what is it? Now look what he says. He says, you have forsaken the love that you had at first. You've forsaken the love you had. Now, let's talk about that for a minute. The word forsaken is actually, again, it's a really, really strong word. It, it means, it literally means to send away. It means to dismiss. He says, you have dismissed, you have sent away, you have forsaken your first love. Now, what is first love? What's he mean by that? The love that you had at first. Well, here's the thing. I actually don't think we need Greek words to help us explain this idea. I think if you've ever been in love, you know exactly what this is like, right? Just think about it. You think back to when you found new love with someone. If you're married, think back to when you and your spouse started dating. If you're, if you have, if you're uh, kind of engaged or you have a boyfriend or girl, think about when you first fell in love with them or just think about it. You remember that? Remember when you like had first love? You almost don't even need to, to put words to it. You just understand it, the thrill of it the passion of it, right? The desire and the anticipation just to want to be with that person, just that, that fire that kind of came with first love. And here, what he says to this church is he says, listen, somewhere along the way, in all of your hard work, in all of your perseverance, in all of your efforts to teach and protect sound doctrine, he says, man, you've, you've, you've forsaken your first love. Here's what Jesus is saying to them. And I think this is pretty, pretty severe. 
Jesus says, you have everything but the main thing. He says, you have all these great external things, but you are flawed in your center. I mean, think about it for a minute. Do you guys remember someone asked Jesus on one occasion, what is the greatest commandment? What's the most important commandment? You remember how he answered that? Matthew 22, he said, here it is. Love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, everything hangs on this. If you don't have that, you've missed the main thing. Jesus looks at this church and he says, you got one big glaring problem. You don't love. You've drifted away. You have forsaken your first love. And I find it so interesting throughout the Bible, the relationship with Jesus and the church is oftentimes likened to a relationship between a husband and a wife or a bride and a groom. And, you know, I think just like in marriage, uh, one of the big dangers that can take place is that you can lose your first love, that romance can become routine, that intimacy can turn into procedure. Right? I was reminded of this. This is such a common thing. I was reminded of this. Uh, I thought this was kind of funny. It's probably not all that funny. It's probably more tragic. But I was at the, um, was at the grocery store. This is probably about five or six years ago. And I was trying to pick out a, a, a card for my wife. Uh, there was, I don't know what exactly it was for, but I went to the, uh, to the section where they had the love cards and there was just a big, big wall and it was just love and romance was the cards. And I noticed something I thought was really interesting and it was the way the cards were arranged on the wall and they were arranged almost chronologically, right? And so I just, I actually, I actually thought this was so interesting. I took pictures. This is from five years ago, but, um, but here was the first one. Okay. So on, on the top of the, the wall, it started here. It started with the beginning of a new relationship, like the very, very, you know, I, I, so, so you can see here was, here's kind of the, the, uh, you know, the, whatever it's called, the, the, the frame, the title thing. I don't, I don't know what you call this, but you see, it says, I like you. And then I really enjoy our time together. And there's a bunch of cards down here that fall underneath that category. And so I saw that I thought, oh, that's kind of cool, you know, and then you move on and it moves from, I like you to new love. And so you go to new love and new relationships. And now it says stuff like this, uh, new relationships, this feels so right. And there's cards about that. And then you keep going down. It says, new love, you are my dream come true. Right? You can feel it. You can feel the new love in the air. And then my heart wants you. My heart wants you. And there's cards about that. So this is all new love, all new relationships. Then it goes into this one. Um, I can't get you out of my mind. Like, I just can't stop thinking about you. New love. I didn't see us coming. It was, it was a surprise. We fell into it, you know, and you can feel the whimsical nature of it. And so it goes from, we just met and I kind of like you to new love. And then the, as I kept walking down the wall, it moved from that to love. And so then it goes to love. You're the person I've always dreamed about. So now they're in love, right? Um, you turned me on. Now things are starting to heat up quite a bit. And then it goes into, you're so right for me. You know, it's just all these these love cards are gushing. You and I are soulmates. And so you, you get it, right? It's like new relationship and then new love and then we're in love. But then as I kept going down the, kept going down the wall, it started to change in its tone. And then it went to this. So it went to love. Even when I don't show it, I love you. And so you can feel it's starting to grow a little colder here, right? And then I hate when we fight. And then I'm sorry for neglecting you. And then... Give me the chance to do better. And then let's keep trying. And then we'll find happiness again. And, and it's almost like as you walk down the line, you can feel how it went from new love to a drifting from that first love. 
And the part I thought was maybe the most tragic and maybe the most comical was that the whole bottom shelf was just went from love to apology cards. <laughs> it's just, I let you down. I'm sorry I hurt you. And, and all I'm saying is, I think, I think we all know how this works, right? That there is this drifting away from our first love. So let me ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus, how about you? Have you forsaken your first love? Have you found that maybe your love for Jesus has grown cold? Let me, let me ask you a few questions, I think, just in light of all of this. How about this one? If you're a follower of Christ, are you loving Jesus more and more? It's a very simple question. But as you follow Christ, do you find that you love him more every day that you follow him? And can I, can I just tell you that if, if as you follow Jesus, you don't see yourself growing in your love for him, maybe you're going the wrong way. Because Jesus says, this is, this is the, the center of it, is to love me, is to love me. Here's the next thing. Has your relationship with God fallen into dutiful obligation? If I was to ask you, hey, tell me about your relationship with God, would you just give me a list of all the stuff you're doing? Would you be like, well, I pray this amount of time, these amount of times a day, and I go to this life group, and I go to this Bible study, and I try to attend? Would, or would you tell me about how awesome God is? And, and about what he's teaching you and the delight that you have in him. How about this one? Do you no longer feel like you need God in your life? Do you don't feel that same need? You know, I think sometimes when we work hard and when we persevere and when we you know, go after things, sometimes we can, in our perseverance, we can stiff arm God and say, we don't really need you anymore. We can reject and forsake our first love. Here's the last one to think about. Are you known, follower of Jesus, are you known more for your love of God and others, or are you known more for what you stand against? Right? Think about that for a minute. What are you known more for? Are you known, are you known more for the love that you have for God and the love that you have for people? Or are you known more for what you can't tolerate? Are you known more for the political position that you hold and those that don't hold it, your your intolerance of them? And what do you know? What would, you, what would other people say about you? What would your coworkers say? What would your social media say about you? Are you known more because you love God and you love people or because you are against masks? I think it's an important question to ask, man. And I'm just telling you, Jesus is reviewing his church. And, and what does he say? He says, you've forsaken your first love. So what do you do if you've forsaken your first love? Where do you go from there? What Jesus actually tells us, I want you to notice, he says, first and foremost, he says, I want you to consider how far you've fallen. So Jesus says, hey, if you've turned away from your first love, first off, you should stop and you should consider. In other words, you should remember. You should go back and you should recall. You ought to remember what it was like when God's grace first gripped you. And I think for those of us who follow Jesus, it's so important that we often Go back and replay the tapes of God's grace and his salvation in our life. Think back to when you first started to follow Jesus. As I was doing this this week, I was just like, you know what? I want to go back. I want to consider. I just started thinking about what was it like when I first started following Jesus. And I remember that so vividly. I was 17 when I came to know Christ. And I remember that first love, that new love that I just came into. I was, I, I was so excited and so passionate about following Jesus. I remember I was in awe of his grace that he would forgive me. And I remember, man, I, I, I couldn't, like, I wanted to read the Bible all the time. I didn't even understand it. 
I wanted to be with God's people. I was like, gosh, I want to be at church. I want to be with the people who love God. I want to learn from them. I remember when I first came to know, came to know Jesus, I remember I would not shut up about him. I just would tell everybody. And I was a shy person, but I was just like, Jesus has changed my life. I remember one time I was at a restaurant and there was uh, some high school friends of mine sitting at a different table. Um, and I remember I was like, well, I know Jesus now. I don't know if they've ever heard about Jesus. I want them to know. I just went up to the table and I was like, you guys, do you guys know about Jesus? Have you heard about him? He's changing my life. And they all looked at me like I was weird, but I didn't really care because I was just like, Jesus is transforming me and changing me. And, and I couldn't contain it. I would gush about him. I remember the feeling of being like, God, I will go anywhere for you. Wherever you want me to go, just tell me and I'm, I'm in. And it was a new, fresh love. And I think honestly, sometimes as we follow Jesus, it can be easy for us to drift from that first love. And so Jesus says, this is how you regain your first love. You start by remembering. You know, maybe a good practical step would be this um, for you if you're a follower of Christ is maybe even after this, this is done, is just go for a walk, get some time, and just replay the tapes of what Jesus has done in your life. And so he says, consider how far you've fallen. Then he says, repent, repent. And repent, very simply, is a change of mind that leads to a change of life. In other words, he says, stop going the way you're going. Jesus says to this church, he says, yeah, you're working hard, you're persevering, you're doing some good stuff, but you don't love. And he says, and you're going the wrong way. You're off track, and so you need to repent. And then he says, do the things that you did at first. Go back and do the things you did at first. You know, sometimes I think uh, we fall under the false belief that actions must follow feelings. That if I don't feel like I love Jesus, then I have to figure out a way to change my feelings first. Um, but I think that's wrong. And I think all of us kind of know that. Feelings and actions go together. And we often cannot immediately change the way we feel, but we can change what we do. We can change our actions. And a lot of times when we do that, our feelings will follow our actions. You know, in a cold, lifeless marriage, a good counselor is going to tell you the same thing that Jesus tells his church here. A good counselor is going to say, don't wait for the feeling to come back, but go back and do the things you did at first. Like prioritize a date night, buy flowers, write notes, go back and do those things and you can restart the flame that first ignited. And sadly, this is what Jesus is saying to the church in Ephesus. Get back to the basics. Spend time with Jesus. Make your first cup of coffee with him in the morning. Spend time with his people. Prioritize that. Tell other people about him. Don't be ashamed to mention his name. And so he says, go back and do the things you did at first. And then he, he says this. He says, and if you don't, if you don't repent, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place. Boy, I tell you, this verse is one that I find very sobering. And I think what Jesus is saying is that when a church loses its first love, it's a very serious condition. And that God will remove that church's influence in its favor. I want you to listen to me on this. A church should never assume God's perpetual favor. Our church should never assume God's perpetual favor. Now, let me be clear, every follower of Jesus is secure in Jesus Christ, but that same type of security is never promised to the local church. Jesus can remove a church's lampstand, and he has. He's done it before. And how many of you have experienced that before? When you walk into a church and it's just a shell of what it formerly was, that, that, that you walk in and it has all the trappings of a church, but there's no light in it. 
and the lampstand has been taken away. Yeah, you know, something I think is really sad is if you go to Ephesus today, it's all ruins. And one of the things that you will not find in Ephesus is you will not find a church. This city, which at one time was the headquarters of the Christian movement, is an extinguished lampstand. So Jesus ends with this. Here's what he says. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is Jesus' way, by the way. He says this quite often. This is his way of saying, you should listen. <laughs> and I think for those of us who follow Christ, who are part of the Medina campus, we should listen. What does Jesus have to say to his church? What does he have to say to our church in these things? And then he gives a promise. He says, to the one who's victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, this, by the way, is a promise of eternal life. And I want you to notice that even though this whole letter has been addressed to the entire church, this promise is to the individual. He says, to the one who is victorious. And I think what this communicates is that uh, there is individual responsibility. That even though this is to the whole church, the church is comprised of individuals who view Jesus as their first love. And so regardless of what the rest of the church is doing, there's an individual call, and there's an individual invitation to make Jesus your first love and to respond to his words. So let me just say, if you're a person who's investigating Jesus, this is also, I believe, God's invitation to you. You can choose to follow Jesus today to make him your first love. And I would even encourage you, maybe even right now, to pray to him and maybe let him know that you want to give your life to him and go all in for him. I'd encourage you to do that. Talk to him now. I would encourage you to talk to someone about that. Talk to the person who sent you this link. And if you don't have someone to talk to, fill out that Connect card we talked about. We'd love to help you on your journey to following Jesus. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, we just want to say thank you so much for your words that you've given us, how gracious you are to, to give us your letter to your church. Father, I pray that you would help those of us who follow you to find encouragement in hard work, to find encouragement to persevere, to find encouragement to hold tightly to what you said. But more than anything, oh, Father, help us not to lose our love. Help us to be known for our love. I ask that you would strengthen that, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.